0: God, we need you this morning. We need you to speak to us through your word. What I have to say is not adequate. We need your spirit to help us learn from your word. And so, Spirit, I pray that as we read these scriptures, as I seek to explain them and illustrate them, as we try to think through the implications on our lives, would you just be doing work in our hearts, Lord, work that I know that I can't accomplish this morning. And so, God, we need you. We pray that you would meet us in this moment, encourage us, challenge us, lift our view of you to something that's even greater than what we walked in here with. So we trust you for that, God. In Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so last weekend, um, I was my wife and I were we were enjoying a date night, and uh, I said something to my wife in jest. That hurt her feelings. I didn't mean to hurt her feelings, but I did. I I hurt her feelings with what I said. And so this, this moment kind of threw off the date night a little bit. And I found myself getting frustrated by that. I found myself harboring some bitterness... I woke up the next morning, and I felt the same way, and so the next day, I kind of emotionally distanced myself from her withdrew. because I was feeling this frustration and this bitterness. Now, here was the problem. The problem was that I was leaving town, so I had to go out of town. So a few of us from our staff team, we jumped on a plane to go to Dallas this week. We spent a few days in Dallas with The village church, and it was a great time. We were learning from their staff team about their systems and structures, and it was a super productive time for us. We learned a lot, so it was great. But I was having a hard time engaging while we were down there because I was feeling this guilt over how I left. And so there was this war going on inside of me. On one hand, the Spirit of God was was there saying, Alan, like, Confess to your wife how you feel. Confess that it wasn't okay to emotionally distance yourself. Humble yourself. Seek her forgiveness. This isn't okay to harbor this bitterness. And so on one hand, I'm there. On the other hand, it was like I was feeling this temptation that was saying, Alan, don't do that. Don't humble yourself. That, that will look really bad. There's no reason why you should be frustrated or bitter. And for you to admit that, that would not be okay. So play it cool, pretend like everything is fine. But whatever you do, the temptation was to say, don't confess that to your wife. Now, thanks to the conviction of the Spirit and what he does in our hearts, I I did confess and I got it off I asked her for her forgiveness, and she graciously gave it to me. You know, temptation is this really nasty thing that goes on so deep in our hearts, a lot of times we have no idea what is even happening. Let me give you a definition of temptation. All right, here's, here's my definition of temptation. You'll see it on the screen. It's this. Here's Temptation. Temptation is a web of lies that I want to believe that is destructive to myself and others. That's what temptation is a web of lies that I want to believe that is destructive to myself and others, right? So let's apply this to my temptation from this past week. Temptation is a web of lies. What were some of the lies? That I wanted to believe this past week. Lies like this. It is way better to project false strength to your wife than weakness. Lies like it's better to stuff your frustration and your bitterness because that looks bad than to talk about it and be honest. Lies like it's okay to emotionally withdraw and be silent. And I wanted to believe these lies. Why did I want to believe these lies? I want to believe these lies because they allow me to protect my ego rather than being humble. These lies encourage me to see myself as more important in that moment than my wife. It gives me permission to put myself before before others. And so I want to believe these lies. And so they're destructive to myself and to others. Obviously, this kind of behavior is destructive to my marriage. Obviously, it's hurtful to my wife. It's temptation, a web of lies that I want to believe that is destructive to myself and others. Now, last week, we talked about how all of humanity has inherited A corrupt heart, a sinful nature from Adam. All right, and we talked about how Adam is like our representative. He sinned first against God, and from him, we all inherit this corrupt heart from Adam. So, in other words, you could say that we are born united to Adam. And so, this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about another way. That this corrupt heart that we get from Adam manifests itself in our lives. Specifically, the fact that our heart wants to believe these lies that are destructive to ourselves and to others, our predisposition to give into temptation. Uh, God describes this kind of heart condition like this in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Here's what God says. You'll see it on the screen. God says this. My people have committed two evils. This is how their heart is corrupt. Two evils they've committed. They have forsaken me. God's saying this. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they've hewed out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. All right, so... Here's what God is saying in Jeremiah 2. He's saying your heart, your soul is like a big cistern, right? A big vat of water. And your soul is designed to be satisfied, to be full, content, at peace, joyful when it's filled to the brim with living water. And he obviously defines living water in this verse as himself, We were designed to live with God at the center of our lives, living for him, trusting in his word every single part of our life. That's where our soul finds its peace. But God says we've committed two evils, this corrupt heart. The first thing we did is we first we, we've forsaken the fountain of living waters, God himself. Uh, we, we say to God, God, I actually don't think you can fill my soul in the kinds of ways that I could fill my own soul. So I'm not going to trust you with that. So I, I forsake the fountain of living waters. And then it says the other thing that's happened is we now have a broken soul cracks in it and it can't hold any water and so we're left living our life trying to fill this cistern full of water but it's always empty no matter how much we try to pour into it we're constantly trying to fill our soul trying to find contentment and peace and all of those things but we're always empty and so here's what happens is temptation comes along these web of lies And these webs of lies says, listen, this will fill your soul. Trusting in God won't forsake that, but this will fill your soul. And we want to believe that because we want our souls to be full, but it's destructive to ourselves and others. And so we're left empty. Here's how uh, the apostle Paul describes this in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to kind of put together verses 22 and 25. The apostle Paul says, claiming to be wise, they, humanity, so we, became fools because we exchanged the truth about God for a lie. The truth that God is the fountain of living water. We exchanged that for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, the created things, rather than the creator. So what we've done is exactly what Jeremiah said as well, right? We said, God, I don't trust you to be the fountain of living water. I'm going to look to other things now. And so instead of worshiping you, the creator, I'm now going to worship and serve the things that you have made. I'm going to look to those things now to fill My soul. So go back to the temptation, my temptation from this past week. The web of lies, it's opposed to God and His Word. Well, what does God's Word say about what I was going through? Don't harbor bitterness. Don't worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye. Worry about the log in your own eye first. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. But the temptation is to reject that fountain of living water that actually will fill my soul and actually try to fill my soul with other things that leave me empty. Things like protecting my ego, being dishonest, putting myself before my wife. See, in those moments, I think I'm being wise, playing it off. Nothing's wrong, but I'm being a fool. My soul is left empty. So is my marriage in that moment. All right, let's think of another temptation. All right, let me pull the cliche one out, right? Road rage. It's cliche for a reason around here, right? Struggling with road rage. Right, it's a web of lies. Right, what are the lies? Man, we could. The person in front of me is the worst person ever. Uh, the person in front of me doesn't know how to drive. The person in front of me doesn't have as important schedule as I do today. Um, everybody needs to actually give me the right of way. Right, there's all kinds of lies that enter our heart when we're experiencing this rage in the car, and these are lies that I want to believe because they let me be first. They let me be the most important person. Instead of laying my life down for others, I get others I want others to lay their life down for me. That sounds better. But it's destructive. Get to wherever you are, your cortisol levels are through the roof, your blood pressure's through the roof. You're irritable, and the more you give yourself into this, just the more irritable person you become everywhere. It's destructive. What does God's word say about this? You know, it says, doesn't it say the first will be last and the last will be first? Doesn't God's word say the fruits of the spirit are love and peace, patience and kindness? Doesn't it say that the works of the flesh are anger and bitterness jealousy and wrath and clamor? The temptation is this. Forsake what God has to say. That's not going to help you in this moment. That's not going to fill your soul. Or, or think about Adam and Eve. We just read, uh, Stephen Kathy just read their story in Genesis chapter 3. When they sinned against God, what was the web of lies that was coming from the serpent? Right? Hey, you can be like God. God is lying to you. When he gave you that command, he lied to you. So God's word is not true. You don't need God, the web of lies that are coming. And Adam and Eve, they want to believe that and forsake God because it allowed them in their heads to become God. It allowed them to be equal with God. I get to put myself before God. So I want to believe that lie. And it was destructive. All of creation was broken. So we inherit this corrupt heart from Adam. This heart that forsakes God and tries to fill our soul with all kinds of things. We inherit inherit that straight from Adam and his sin in the garden. And last week, as we continued in our study of the Gospel of Luke, we learned that Jesus came to be a new Adam, and that when we place our faith in Jesus, Jesus not only forgives us of our sin, but he repairs our broken hearts and all the cracks that leak all kinds of water. And we can go from being united to Adam in his sin to being united to Jesus in his righteousness. And so this morning, as we continue in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 4 here, what I want us to see is even further, we're going to read even more how Jesus is this new Adam. Because we're going to read about how Jesus faced temptation. And it's different than how Adam did. So let's jump into our text. Luke chapter four, verses one to four. We'll read more than that. I'm gonna just start with verses one to four. So Jesus just was baptized by John the Baptist as we read last week in the Jordan River. And then we pick up our story here in verse one. It says this, "'And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, "'returned from the Jordan where he was being baptized,' And was led by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. I don't know if you noticed it, but Jesus is tempted in the same way that Adam was in the garden. Right? What was Adam's temptation, right? You can be like God, you don't even need God. What's this temptation of Jesus? If you are God, then you will make bread for yourself. You will prove that you don't need God the Father because you have everything that you need within yourself. You don't need God. You can be God all by yourself. It's the same temptation. Now, this was a web of lies that Adam wanted to believe. But... Jesus, being pure in heart, did not want to believe these lies. And so what does Jesus do? He throws God's word straight back at the devil. What God has said, right? Fountain of living waters, he throws straight back. Remember what he said in verse four. He quotes scripture and he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Right, The fountain of living water, and he's saying, no, you, devil, you are the liar. And so here we see that Jesus is a, is a new Adam who doesn't give in to temptation, but trusts in the word of God. And in doing so, like we learned last week, what Jesus does is he fulfills all righteousness. This is what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about how what Jesus does is he comes to live and to die in our place, right? Jesus lives a perfectly righteous life, never gives in to temptation, nor forsakes the fountain of living waters in our place. And Jesus dies a sinner's death, taking on the judgment we deserve in our place. And so what this means is that if we trust and follow Jesus, there is no more condemnation for us because Jesus took that on the cross and instead of having this corrupt heart that can't hold any water, he now repairs our heart with cisterns that can hold water, with a new appetite for the fountain of living water that will actually satisfy our souls. And so here in Luke 4, we read about Jesus being tempted by the devil in the desert, not only do we learn about how Jesus is a new Adam and can repair our hearts in this moment of his temptation, we also learn exactly how to face temptation and not give in to the lies of the enemy who so badly wants to destroy us. All right, so here we see how Jesus is a new Adam, but we also learn how to face temptation. And Jesus enables us to do that by repairing our heart and pointing us to the fountain of living water. And we need to learn from Jesus here because 1 Peter 5.8 tells us this. It says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to whisper these lies into your ear whenever he gets an opportunity. And so I wanna ask the question, what do we learn from Jesus in this text about how to resist the lies of the enemy and fill our repaired souls with living water? And so I have two things that we learn directly from Jesus and from our text this morning. Here's number one that we learned from Jesus. The first one is this. We must believe that God is more committed to our joy than we are. To so think about that for a second. We must believe that God is more committed to our joy than we are. Look at verses five to eight. Luke chapter four, verses five to eight. And the devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. and said to Jesus, "To you, I will give all this authority in all their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours." And Jesus answered him, "It is written you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So again, this is a very similar temptation to the previous one Jesus faced with the devil and to Adam in the garden in Genesis 3. What are the lies? You don't need God the Father. You can exalt yourself above God the Father. Forsake the fountain of living water. And Jesus doesn't want to believe these lies because, again, he throws God's word back at the devil. Jesus says to the devil, no, 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 no. My joy is not found in everything being centered on me or getting all of these things. My joy is found in doing the will of my father, worshiping and serving him alone. A temptation that Adam gave into. But but think about this for a second. How was Adam's life going when he faced his temptation? He was in paradise. Adam had never felt fear, ever. Adam had never been disappointed. Adam had never felt hardship, ever, or loneliness, or anxiety, or need. He was in paradise, yet, despite everything being perfect around him, he rejected the purpose that God created him for. to worship God and serve him only. He rejects that. And therefore, even though it seemed like his soul should have been full, it emptied out in the midst of paradise. Now, how was Jesus' life going when he faced temptation from the devil? Our text tells us that he just got done 40 days in the desert fasting. So imagine Jesus, he's getting baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. The sky cracks open, the father comes and says, that's my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. And then he's immediately thrown in the desert for 40 days, silence from God. Loneliness, hunger, thirst, he's hot. And yet, Despite everything around him being empty, Jesus never rejected his purpose, which was to worship God and serve him only. See, the reality is, is that we can be going through a a lot of hardships in life. We can be going through economic hardships, health challenges, relationship problems, problems at work, Uh, We could be going through all kinds of things in the desert like Jesus is. Loneliness, anxiety, wondering where God is. We can do all of that. And despite all of these hard things going on around us, our souls actually can be full of living water, full of joy. Because despite our hardships, we embrace the purpose that God has given us and we drink from the fountain of living water. And in the same way, everything around us could be going perfectly well. We could have all the money we could ask for, do all the things that we want, have this great marriage and beautiful children and the house that we want and the cars that we want to drive and the perfect job. Everything around us could be perfect, but if we reject the purpose that God created us for, to worship and serve him only, and we forsake the fountain of living waters, it doesn't matter what we have, our souls will be left completely empty. Confused as to why after all of this hard work I've done to gain all of these things, why am I still empty? See, God is more committed to your joy than you are. And we must understand that our souls are not filled or drained by our outside circumstances. Rather, our souls are, are filled or drained by embracing or rejecting the purpose that God created us for, to worship him. See, we think we're wise by rejecting God's way and trying to do life our own way, but, but we're foolish. I thought I was being wise by protecting my ego and and projecting a false image of myself to my wife, centering my life on myself. But I was being foolish. Protecting my ego through dishonesty isn't going to fill my soul. It's gonna drain it. And God is committed to my joy by leading me towards the hard road of humility that will fill my soul. And in that moment of choosing what is hard, listening to what God has to say, drinking from the fountain of living water, sometimes it seems really hard. God, are you sure that me drinking from this living water really is going to fill my soul? And we just so wanna believe the other lies. We, We think we might be wise when we slander someone or gossip about someone at work. We're being fools. Thinking that tearing someone else down so we can maybe feel a sense of justice or some social acceptance or getting a cheap laugh out of someone, we think that's gonna fill our soul with something, but it drains it. Centering our lives on ourselves. The reality is God is committed to your joy more so than you are. That's why he commands you, don't live like the world. Be different from them and love people and lay yourself down for others, even your enemies. Because I'm the fountain of living waters. I know what fills your soul. And there are times that we look at that and we go, God, no, I'm not laying my life down for them. We think we're being wise. We think we're being wise when we, indulge in pleasures that God has given us clear boundaries around. Right When I believe that I can do whatever I wanna do, when uh, what I'm doing is centering my life on myself and I think I'm being wise. And we know abusing these pleasures doesn't fill the soul. If it filled the soul, there would be a point that we stop. But we keep going back over and over again thinking this time it will fill it. And God's more committed to your joy by giving us these boundaries and and calling us to repentance when we cross those boundaries because he knows what your soul needs. And so God is more committed to our joy than we are. And when temptation comes, when we wanna believe those lies from the enemy, when God's way seems like it will be much more difficult, We've gotta believe that God is leading us to fullness and to joy. And that's the secret to living in a fallen world. It's right there. You can have fullness and joy and contentment and satisfaction even while you're in the desert because your heart is drinking deeply from the fountain of living water. And you can have complete emptiness despite having everything in the world because we forsake it. And so we have to believe that that God is more committed in this word that he gives us, in his conviction, as he counters those lies with his truth. We have to believe God's way more committed to my joy and my contentment and my fullness than I am. Way more committed. But if we're gonna believe that, we also have to do number two which is this, number two is this, we must learn the voice of God. Number two, we must learn the voice of God. Look at Luke chapter four, verses nine to 13, third temptation that Jesus faces. It says this, and the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, ooh, Satan knows his Bible, Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and, still Psalm 91, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The temptation here was for Jesus to make God prove his love and to prove that his word is actually true. And the devil caught on to how Jesus had been battling these temptations. He's, Jesus, he's battling these temptations, fighting them off through quoting God's truth and God's word back to the enemy. And so the devil decides to quote God's word back to Jesus, but he twists God's word. See, if we are going to drink from the fountain of living water and believe that God is more committed to our joy than we are, it's not enough to just read God's word. We must learn his voice. Because when we learn God's voice, it is apparent to us when someone else is using God's word in such a way that does not reflect God. See, if you're a Christian, whether you're a baby Christian, you just came to know Christ, you're learning, or you are a seasoned, mature, you've been following Jesus for a long time type of Christian, the enemy is going to use God's word against you. He will twist it to give you permission to give in to the lies. Uh, he'll say things to you like, doesn't God's word say that you should deal with the plank that is in your own eye before you deal with the speck in your neighbor's eye? Yeah, your wife needs to do that. Your friend needs to do that. The person that you have a problem with, they need to look at their own eye first. He'll he'll take God's word and say, this doesn't apply to you, it applies to others. Or he'll say things like, or, you know, doesn't God's word say that Jesus ate with the tax collectors and the sinners? So, of course, what you did the other night's okay. Doesn't the apostle Paul rebuke people harshly to people's faces? He does, Galatians 2, among others. So, of course, you can treat that person harshly and with sarcasm. See, the enemy knows that our hearts are looking for excuses to believe the lies, to forsake the living water. And look at this, the enemy knows the Bible better than you do. And he does quote it a lot. And he'll use it against you. And so we must learn the voice of God. And yes, that means reading and knowing our Bibles, of course. But here's, here's what I think it really means and how we do this. I think it means reading the Bible in community. And by in community, what I don't mean is getting in a circle, reading a scripture, awkward silence, and a few surfacy questions. Not, that's not in community. Here's what I mean by in community. is taking the Bible, reading it, and, and discussing the real life implications of it to us. Going to those deep places. This is where I was tempted this week. These are the lies. I'm gonna confess to you, my community, that I am tempted to believe. What does God's word has to say? Here's what I think God's word says here. What does everybody else think, right? This is reading God's word in community. Going to those places that we don't wanna go to. Letting God's word pierce our souls. And sometimes we need our brothers and our sisters to help us with that. If we're gonna believe that God is more committed to our joy than we are, we need other people to help us to listen and hear to what God's word is actually saying. Because temptation is nasty and it's subtle and it's happening when we don't even know it. And we're really good at figuring out reasons why it's okay to believe the lies. We're not gonna be prepared, as prepared as Jesus was in the midst of battle when it comes to how the enemy uses God's word against us, because he will, he will twist scripture. And if we don't have honest relationships with other people where we can talk about this and we can let people in to what's actually going on inside of our hearts and all of the ugly, then we're not going to be prepared to face the lies and the tricks of the enemy. We need one another. If you are committed to doing the Christian life all by yourself, you will not be able to stand up to those temptations. Christian life was never designed to be done alone. We need each other. We need each other so we can remind each other that God is more committed to our joy than we are, and we need each other to really understand and to to know the voice of God. The, The good news of Luke 4 is that Jesus faced these temptations on our behalf. He is our new Adam, and if you trust in him, not only does his death on the cross pay for all of your sin, his righteous life where he doesn't give into temptation is also given to you. He has repaired our hearts. He has pointed us to the fountain of living water, and he invites us to drink deeply. And if we are going to drink deeply from it, then we need to ask the question, what are the lies that I'm currently believing that I need to name and reject what is it for you what are the lies right now that you are tempted to believe that you want to believe you need to name them and reject them and this isn't condemnation oh it's it's the exact opposite Jesus is way more committed to your joy than you are and he knows it's draining your soul This isn't about condemnation. This is about your joy and God is after it and he's pursuing you. And sometimes that means that we need to name the lies, humble ourselves and say, Jesus, help me with this. Church family, help me with this. And so here's my challenge for you as we bring this to a close. Maybe this is something you can talk about as a family today. Maybe this is something you could talk about with, Friends or roommates who came with maybe your community group this week. Or maybe this is just time by yourself journaling. Asking a few questions. But I challenge you to sit down with paper and pen or discuss this with others and ask these questions. And answer honestly. Knowing that Jesus has redeemed you. He has paid your debt of sin. He has repaired your heart. He is committed to your joy and he is trying to point you to the fountain of living waters. And because that is true and that is right and that will never be taken away from us, we can boldly answer these questions knowing that God is pursuing our joy. And that's these. Number one, ask this, what do I want to believe and why? What are the temptations? What are the web of lies? What do I want to believe and why? Why? And how do they empty my soul? Write that down. Sometimes we just need time to to, to think this through and and see the scheme of the enemy and realize that is a dirty lie. That's not going to fill my soul. Let's play this one out to the very end. And then how is God more committed to my joy? How is God more committed to my joy? What would it look like to drink from the fountain of living water? And that might be hard, but how is God more committed to my joy? If you are in Christ, Adam, I'm sorry, Jesus is your representative. You are united to him. His righteous life is yours and his death on the cross has been given for you. And so you are free now to reject the ways of the world, and to drink deeply from the fountain of living waters. Trust this morning that he is way more committed to your joy than you are. Let's pray. God, this, this morning, I pray you would help us to believe that truth. That you are committed to our joy. And that Lord, even though you have redeemed us, even though we are your children, if we trust in you, even though our place with you for eternity has been secured, even though you have repaired our hearts, we're still tempted to believe lies all the time, all the time. And so, God, I pray that that you would embolden us in the gospel to fight these lies not because we're trying to earn your approval, not because we're trying to earn salvation. This is not about that, Lord, but because this is about how you designed us to live. It's about your glory. It's about our joy. And so, God, give us boldness to look at our hearts, to look at the areas where we struggle and be willing to answer these questions, to to confess to our community so that we can be encouraged in the gospel and to begin the journey of, being, of starting to reject these lies and begin to drink deeply from the fountain of living water. Jesus, we love, we love you because you have saved us. We do not deserve it. We praise you that you have taken care of all of our sins and welcomed us into your family. And we praise you now, God, that you are doing the everyday work in our hearts of leading us into more and more joy. Help us to follow you. In Jesus' name.